Welcome to the Lock Sportscast, your weekly source for Lock Sport News. This is episode 82, recorded December 26, 2021. I'm your host, Charles Current. In today's episode, Toyota backpedaling, building automation systems attacked, another unpickable lock candidate, lock noob in business week, thieves with mailbox keys, Toronto auto theft ring busted, products, sales, giveaways, and more. Remember, you can subscribe to the audio version of the show on most podcast apps and at thelocksportscast.com. If you don't already have one, you can find a podcasting 2.0 compatible app at newpodcastapps.com. You can subscribe to the video version on YouTube or Odyssey. Links to stories discussed will be in the show notes. Full show notes with all of the links can be found at thelocksportscast.com. And of course, there is less than a week remaining before nominations open for the Lucky Awards for the 2021 year. So please keep that in mind and hopefully my website doesn't break in the middle of it. I have a quick correction from last week's episode. Last week, Pocket Woman had mentioned bare bones lock picking and that, the, and that they were having a sale. And I said I couldn't find any indications of a sale on their website. And evidently that's just because I'm blind or I didn't look hard enough. She says, Thank you very much for mentioning bare bones lock picking in your show last week. Just to clarify, the sale is still on. Sale is written in the top corner of the picture of the pick sets in a green box that says sale. You can also tell the sale items by the original price being small and in grayscale and the sale price in large bold text. Not the whole product line is on sale. Buyers need to look through the site and check out what is on sale, such as the pick sets. There is no end date as yet for the sale that she knows of. And she has done some more reviews of their products that I will cover later in the product section. And last week, I covered the story that Toyota was charging a subscription fee for continued use of the remote start functionality of your key fob. And this week, Toyota is backpedaling pretty hard because of a public backlash. In an article in The Drive, they did some investigating and actually got some comments from Toyota about what the situation was and. I will cover just a bit of that here. The article was written by Rob Stumpf on December 23rd. The byline was, A spokesman told the drive that making the key fob remote start part of the subscription plan was an unintentional move. He says that Toyota had previously declined to give a detailed answer on why it chose to take a feature that doesn't need an internet connection to function and move it behind a paywall. However, Toyota now claims it never intended to market the key fob remote start as a real feature. It also says that the subscription requirement was an inadvertent result of a relatively small technical decision related to the way its new vehicles are architectured. Finally, Toyota has heard the outrage over the last week, and a spokesman told us the company was caught off guard by the blowback, and its executive team is currently examining whether it is possible to reverse course and drop the subscription requirement for key fob remote start. The article goes into a little bit of detail about how the system works and why Toyota claims that it was tied into the subscription. So drivers that subscribe to Toyota's Remote Connect plan can perform remote start in a few different ways. One is by using the app on their phone. The other is a connected service like Amazon's Alexa. The third is by using their key fob. 
But no matter which method is used, the command must always flow through what's called the vehicle's data communications module, or DCM, which is a piece of hardware that has the cellular modem and facilitates the car's connected services. It also contains a bit of software logic, according to Toyota, that checks whether or not the customer has an active subscription or trial to connected services. And it's programmed in a way that the remote start is either enabled or disabled. It's either on or off as a whole. This means that if the driver attempts to start the car using the key fob, the request is first sent to the DCM for approval and denied if there's no active subscription or trial, even if it's coming from the proximity key fob and not running through the cellular network. And they have a diagram in the article that kind of shows how that's supposed to work. So that's Toyota's explanation of how we ended up in this spot. But Toyota says that lumping the key fob remote start into the subscription service wasn't intentional. According to a spokesman, a lot of Toyota employees were unaware of how the setup worked and were caught off guard by the first stories that the fobs were going to stop working. Further, it claims that the key fob remote start function as it exists today, by pressing the lock button three times, is more like an unofficial user hack that Toyota no longer advertises, hence the lack of a separate remote start button on the fob. If that's the case, that this was not an intended feature, that the remote start was not even supposed to be on the fob, why is it in the fob? Why is it the case that you can press the button three times? And why is it that dealerships and salesmen promote this as a feature? I I think, frankly, that's just an excuse. I think they knew what they were doing all along, and I think they got caught with their pants down when people got really outraged. They weren't expecting the bad press. They were expecting to just slip it in there, and people would have to start paying. And now they're trying to save face. Because if it wasn't supposed to be in there, why is it on the fob? And if it was supposed to be in there, why was it automatically linked to the subscription check? Because it was supposed to be. That's my interpretation of that. They knew that it was going to be in there. They knew that it was going to have to go through the subscription check. They designed it that way, and they got caught. And in other news, a building automation engineering firm suddenly lost contact with hundreds of its KNX-based building automation system devices, also known as BAS devices. These include light switches, motion detectors, shutter controllers, and others. This happened after a cyber attack locked the company out of the BAS it had constructed for a large office building client. According to Lime Security, the problem the engineering company faced could easily be described as someone had gotten access to their building automation control system over the internet and locked the owners out of it. The building contained several hundred of KNX components and three quarters of them were no longer operational due to the attack. Control system devices that are publicly accessible on the internet have been a known problem that security experts were pointing at for a decade already. What made this attack campaign interesting was that it was executed using unique control system technology-specific aspects. The attackers just needed to understand specifics of KNX technology and how specific features could be abused. One specific function was very important among others for the attack. In KNX, it is possible to set a so-called bus coupling unit key, or BCU key which was designed as a protective function into the standard to prevent unwanted changes to the devices. 
when a BCU key is set, all the KNX devices in the engineered project that support this feature will be locked during the engineering process using a password. Once enabled, devices protected with a BCU key therefore cannot be changed afterwards unless the password is known. Although different implementations exist, most devices will not allow a reset of the password even with physical access to the device. The firm located in Germany discovered that three quarters of the BAS devices in the office building system network had been mysteriously purged of their smarts and locked down with the system's own digital security key, which was now under the attacker's control. The firm had to revert to manually flipping on and off the central circuit breakers in order to power on the lights in the building. The BAS devices, which control and operate lighting and other functions in the office building, were basically bricked by the attackers. Everything was removed, completely wiped, with no additional functionality for the BAS operations in the building. Lime Security, whose industrial control system security firm was contacted in October by the engineering firm in the wake of the attack, ultimately retrieved the hijacked BCU key from memory in one of the victim's bricked units. But it took some creative hacking. The engineering firm was then able to reprogram the BAS devices and get the building's lighting, windows, shutters, motion detectors, and other systems back up and running. But it appears that attack was no anomaly. Lime Security has been getting reports of similar types of attacks on BAS systems that run on KNX. Recently, Lime Security was contacted by another engineering firm in Europe that had suffered an eerily similar type of attack. Lime security researchers, meanwhile, have set up a honeypot system to see if they can lure the attackers into going after their phony BAS as a way to gather intel on where the attacks are originated. So far, though, no one has taken the bait, and there'll be a link to two separate write-ups on the attacks in the show notes if you want to know more. And I received an email from a gentleman who has designed what he thinks is an unpickable lock that should be simple, cheap, and easy to manufacture. He says, the advantage of my lock is that it's relatively simple and inexpensive to manufacture and can use standard keys. The email provided a link to a video on his channel that demonstrates a 3D model of the lock he designed, along with an explanation of how it works and how it uh, decouples the setting of the wafers, in this case, from the actual rotation of the core, therefore trying to deny you the ability to tension and set the wafers at the same time. Having looked it over, I saw what I think could be a couple of, well, one that I know was a fault and one that I think could be exploited, but without a physical model and just looking at 3D renderings, can't be sure, but I did send him an email back. I'll read that email here real quick. I said, that's cool design, and I think it could be very difficult lock to defeat. Since you are claiming unpickable, I have to be a bit critical. Please don't take this the wrong way. I really like the way you are thinking here. However, unpickable is a claim that rarely holds up. Issues I see as currently designed. In the design you show in the video, the plug doesn't have a lip overlapping the outer body. This would leave it susceptible to shimming from the front, making it trivial to pick. Your design is going to be very dependent on manufacturing tolerances. If they're too tight, it's going to give users problems with those teeth on the side not aligning when the keys and wafers wear. Too loose, and it could lead to being able to individually set the wafers while picking. 
possibly by working the core forward and back to test four wafers that are binding, then carefully place, then carefully pulling the core back until you can just force that one wafer up one notch. Maybe not, but it seems like what I would try. Anyway, as I said, cool design and with the shimming attack fix would likely be a very difficult lock to pick. And it's hard to go into what I mean without you visually seeing the video. So I recommend you follow the link in the show notes, go check out the video and then see if you can figure out what I'm talking about. But basically there's a two part core and an outer shell. One part of the core contains the wafers and has a channel milled into it that a peg on the side of the outer body slides into, keeping it from rotating until the core is pushed back against a spring where that pin can enter a groove that goes around the core, so allowing it to then rotate in that pushed back position. Pushing back that core also causes serrations on the side of the wafers to engage with serrations in the second part of the lock core. Then if all the wafers are pulled in where they're supposed to be, the whole core can rotate together to release the lock. My contention is that if you push the core back, check for a binding wafer, then very carefully, when you uh, allow the spring to push the core back out, the wafer side, if there's enough tolerance, the wafer is going to, the wafers are going to be dragging against the second part of the core, those serrations that are engaged, and that will cause that side of the wafer to slightly shift towards the back. So if you hook your pick under the front side of the wafer you want to pick, as you pull it forward, you may be able to get it to disengage from the serrations ever so slightly before the others do. Set it up a, a one notch, push it back in, test it again, and just work at it very slowly that way. Again, depends on the tolerances and the manufacturing of the lock, whether that would even work, but that's just something that, that struck me as a possibility early on from looking at a 3D model. But if you're interested, link will be in the show notes. I recommend you go check it out. Give him some feedback, but please be polite. Um, I really appreciate people trying to come up with better lock designs something the industry has needed for a long time and so i really want to encourage this behavior but i also want to be realistic about whether a lock is unpickable or not in a couple episodes back we talked about the bypass that was discovered on some of the schlage model locks using nothing but a simple zip tie and also the solution to that problem and there has been an article written up in bloomberg business week about that exploit and dominic villeneuve right probably pronouncing that wrong, uh, the gentleman who figured out the exploit and his responsible disclosure says Dominic Villeneuve figured out a simple way to bypass a widely used door lock and he told the manufacturer how he did it. A year and a half later, he's telling the world. And I like the quote from the end here. It says, for Villeneuve, going public was less about sensationalizing anything than making sure the locks get fixed. It's okay to find a vulnerability to make it public, to make some reputation, he says. But if showing the way I handled it motivates people to communicate with manufacturers, that's the goal, to make things more secure. And the article also mentions LockNew, which is how uh, this article came to my attention, was through people sharing LockNew's tweet about it with me. 
And he said, see, you tell the world about that one weird trick with the zip tie. Next thing you know, you're in a major publication. So anyway, link in the show notes if you want to go take a look at the article. The article also contains a video. So if you don't want to read about it, you can just watch the video. And we have an update on the Lockpickers United raffle. They say thank you so much to everyone that has contributed to this year's raffle prizes, as well as all the early donators. The month of December is rapidly approaching its end, so I've got some updates and reminders for everyone. Prize contributions end on December 31st. Unless your pot is positively mind-blowing and cannot be revealed to me until after the deadline for some crazy logistical reason, please get me informed on what you want to contribute as soon as possible. I would very much appreciate it if we could avoid the last-minute rush on prizes, as that makes the job of organizing them much more difficult at the end. And early donations and submission forms. Donations before the official start of the raffle are still being accepted. If you would prefer to make your donation before the new year for any particular reason, you are more than welcome to do so, and you can distribute your tickets later. I would also like to take this opportunity to do a test run of our newfangled submission form, courtesy of Naswek. For early donations, you can leave the section on your ticket distribution empty, and we can fill that in later. It is definitely better that we figure out potential bugs before the rubber hits the road next month, so I invite anyone who is submitting early donations to give it a shot. You will need to upload your donation proof to an image-sharing website like Imager to do so. If you would like any charities added to the list in the form, please contact Correct Genes or donate to the raffle. And for any of you new listeners that are still questioning whether lockpicks are illegal, lockjudge.com's latest article is about the legality of lockpicks in the U.S. specifically. They say you don't have to be a lawyer to understand the legal code or statutes for your state to understand the legality behind lockpicking, lockpicks, and locksport. But not surprisingly, some people who are interested in the hobby may be dissuaded by misinformation and confusion about lockpicks being illegal. After conducting our own thorough research of each state's laws, codes, and statutes on lockpicks or pick locks as commonly known under legal terms, we have created an easy-to-digest interpretation of the legality of lockpicking. We are going to walk you through the different ways that lockpicks are seen by state law and it is a it's a good article with a lot of different information in there. So I will have a link to that in the show notes if you want to know more. Moving on to videos. First up, we have a video by Gilgains, My Road to Black Belt. The description says, this has been my journey to Black Belt. Hope you enjoy my ramblings. You can hear my cat Emu in the background as usual. She doesn't tolerate closed doors. I forgot to mention the amount of challenge locks I picked along the way. They definitely were a big part of advancing my picking up to black belt territory. I can sympathize with the cat thing, but in my case, it's dogs. I literally have to put a blocking gate down the hallway so the dogs can't get to the door when I record this, because otherwise you can hear them under the door whining. But anyway, check out Gilgain's video. It's uh, like 18 minutes long, so... Definitely too long of a story for inclusion in the podcast, but you can go check it out at his YouTube channel. So link in the show notes, of course. 
The next video I'm going to cover is selfishly one of my own. On my Charles Buildscrap channel, I put up just a 45 second video called Simple Safe Cracking Robot First Open. So it's, it's a project I've been working on for several months now in, in the free time that I can manage to scrounge up. And the video shows a test run and the first successful open with uh, just a, it's a Sergeant Greenleaf lock mounted in a Sparrow's vault. So unfortunately, after this, I found some serious problems with my code. The logarithm I used definitely didn't catch all the edge cases that I needed to. It like skipped some actual numbers. And I went in to fix that, and I totally broke everything. It wouldn't work at all. Uh, the microcontroller I was using was what's called a parallax propeller. And I was attempting to program it in its native language, which is called spin. It's, it's very different than what I'm used to. And I found some bugs in the the compiler it was so trying to figure out what was my doing and what was a problem caused by the compiler was just getting to be too much of a headache so i just scrapped it all and started over with a different microcontroller that i can program in c and with a little c++ and libraries that i'm using and i'm rewriting all the code from scratch so it's not currently at a stage where it's op able to open a lock yet on the new version but i'm getting there Anyway, I just thought I would share that so people knew what I was up to. Again, it's just a 45-second video, something really quick. But you know you're doing something right when locksmiths or safe technicians lash out at you. So, one comment that I received was from GJSF Tech. And they say, And why share with the world what a locksmith can purchase? Yep, you're not the first by far. Sorry, dude. Letting the cat out of the bag for what reason? Your personal entertainment? A pat on the back? Others that created what you're attempting has been sold to licensed locksmiths for years. The first dialed all combos, the second manipulated the lock, the third made a man billions when he sold his solution to the government. Now what? Sell your or give your invention away? What are you trying to accomplish? A road to help theft that is rampant, causing consumers more cost at the register? Some things best left to ourselves or to share with industry technicians, not the general public. Knowledge is power that should be utilized wisely. So he seems to be contradicting himself in this. This is purely a em very emotional post. Um, my 45 second video was obviously very emotionally troublesome to this person, but he's contradicting himself. Yeah, first of all, I know I'm not the first. Duh. He said he, he's big on, I'm not the first, lots of other people have done it, and then saying, I'm letting the cat out of the bag. Everything I've done is based on stuff I've seen already on YouTube, including by the Lockpicking Lawyer. Lockpicking Lawyer has three videos out on these things that show a lot more and have shown it to a lot more people than I, my video ever will. So, but I figure if I'm making somebody that nervous in the industry, then I might be on the right road. So, even though I was actually getting a little uh, dissuaded because of my having to start over and, you know, all the code I was having to rewrite and everything, this comment here was actually very motivating for me. Figure, why not keep pushing through and make something that's even better and more refined and will make them even more nervous. I also had questions about whether I plan to open source this. At this point, no. It's something that I... I love the open source community and I very much value the open source values, I guess. But in this case, 
I've struggled with it a lot internally. I even wrote the code so it is very well commented and readable. I don't think that I personally want to be responsible for making something like this that easy for the criminal types to produce. The knowledge is out there on how to do it. The challenge and the fun is figuring out how to do it as far as a a Locksport project, figuring out exactly how to build it, how to program it, get the algorithm so it works and is efficient and as efficient as you can make it, Um, adding little features here and there to make it more useful. That's, That's the fun. And if I were just throw the code out there, then nobody else is going to have that part of the challenge. Plus, like I said, it'd then just be too easy for criminals to make themselves or for somebody to start building it to sell cheaply to anybody. But that's basically where I stand on that at the moment. We'll see what happens later on. Moving on to products, we'll pick up with where we left off with Pocket Woman. So she sent in a note along with the, the correction from above that she says, I have completed an extensive review of the bare bones lock picking. It is in three parts. The first is an introduction to bare bones lock picking, which you have already mentioned. Below is the complete review with title of video and its content. So part one, which we already talked about, was the introduction to bare bones lock picking. Part two is comparison and cases. And about that video, she says, target customers are the beginning lockpicker. Target competition is the cheap, poor quality pick sets beginners have been buying up until now. Included in the review is the bare bones cases and answering questions that locksporters wanted to know about the bare bones products that were asked in the comments to part one. She also gives price comparisons with similar products from Australian locksmith supply companies, the locksmith toolbox and pick pals, as well as overseas competition competition such as Sparrows, Southord, Peterson, Lalock Tools, Multipick, and current prices on similar products with conversion and exchange rates when the video was posted. Part three is bare bones lockpicking natural habitat, which she says is about everyday carry legalities, lockpickers with disability, advanced lockpickers, stickers as well as how i would set up the bare bones budget case with the products and anything else i haven't already covered in the first two videos she says there will be another video later showing off the range of 20 stickers that bare bones lock picking has created with a sense of fun and tongue-in-cheek humor so i recommend especially if you are in australia that you head over and check out her videos on those and see what she has to say This next section I have entitled Same Crap, Different Color. It is news from Masterlock where they say same keyway, more durable, new powder-coated laminated steel. So Masterlock basically now has their laminated padlocks available with bright powder-coated color finishes. So now they can look more like toys, which I guess is fitting. Anyway, if you're interested, there will be a link in the show notes. In Lockpickers United belts this week, two new purple belts. We have Birdie and 206, or 206, I'm not sure how they want that pronounced. Congratulations to both of you. For Red, we have a Reddit user, I'm not even sure how to pronounce this, Yangias, Yangias, it's Y-A-G-I-A-S. 
and I don't have a clue how to pronounce it. We also have three new Black Belt announcements from the Discord. The first one reads, Time to welcome another picker to the dojo. Send some love to Dromacite, or Dromacite, for having attained Black Belt by picking the EVA MCS, ASA Twin Pro, EVA 3KS+, Dom IX Twin Star, as well as having created a cutaway for his epic quest. So congratulations to you. The next one reads, Please congratulate Flebron or Flebron for reaching the rank of Black Belt. For this achievement, he picked the Asa Twin 6000, Zeiss Icon SK6 Extra Code, Asa Twin Combi, and the Asa 700. For his quest, he impressioned three locks rubber band sent him. So congratulations to you. Very well done. And the last one reads, Another Black Belt joins us today, Gilligans. In true Aussie fashion, he picked the Bylock and the Dom IX Twin Star. He chose to make some beautiful picks and impressioned a lock for his quests. And it's his journey to Black Belt that I was talking about earlier. So you can find that video again in the show notes links. For anyone not already familiar with the Lock Pickers United Belt system, there are links in the show notes to the official page as well as some videos that explain how the system works. So if you're not already part of it, Check those out and consider joining the fun. From Speed Locks this week, we have some new records as well as some first records. The new records, we have Super Hansberger 93, set a record for the CASP 14040 in 19.033 seconds, and the TSA 005 by Prince in 9.834 seconds. Some new first records, all by PandaFrog, all on Alpha 1000 series locks, it looks like. We have the Alpha 1000-20 in 8.12 seconds. The Alpha 1025 in 2.68. The Alpha 1030 in 6.2. The Alpha 1035 in 4.6. And the Alpha 1000-50 in 33.48. So you can head over to the Speedlocks website to congratulate them if you would like. And now it's time to say thank you to the people that made this episode possible. We'll start with the Patreon subscribers. We have Panda Frog, Michael Gilchrist, Starlock, Williams Brain, Dave to be deciphered, Lebon's Locksport Journey, Pat from Uncensored Tactical, Three Raccoons in a Coat, Cherell, Patty Cakes, Dr. Hogmaster, Clayton Howard, aka Cooltoon, Mog, John Locke, Rat Yoke, Mr. Picker, Cranky Lock Picker, Real Tater, JHP Picking, Chief Content Producer for this episode, Fairly, by One Story Over Cherell was iFisk. Other content producers were Beanie A to Z, Cherell, Correct Jeans, Dark Arts Lock Picking, Evil Arch Conservative, Gilligans, Gumby, Joshua Gonzalez, Michael Gilchrist, Mix777Oz, Pandafrog, Pocket Woman, Rain, Robert Carlson, Rubber Band, Cisco Spaceman, and Tony Varelli. Thank you to all of you for your support. Just remember that this show is only possible because of all that information and support from the community. So if you're getting value out of this podcast, please help return some of that value by sending in your news, links, events, giveaway information, anything you have that you think the community would enjoy or should be knowing. Send it to podcast at thelocksportscast.com or any of the other methods listed at thelocksportscast.com slash support or also usually in the show notes. You can also help by sharing the podcast with your lockpicking friends, either online or in person. You can leave a review on your favorite podcast platform or a comment and a thumbs up on YouTube. 
If you want to support financially, you're more than welcome to do so. You can donate on PayPal or subscribe on Patreon. Patrons get an RSS feed where they can get an audio version of the podcast a little early. Usually that's about a day. Unfortunately, this week, because of the holiday, I'm recording late, so they won't get it early. I apologize for that, but family time. Also remember that I am looking for Locksport Journey Stories or Journey to Black Stories, as long as they're a reasonable length and safe to read on a family-friendly podcast. So you can send them in to any of the methods listed in the show notes. You can also send me feedback. You can do that at locksportscast.com slash contact or any of the other methods. That feedback can be confidential if you want, or I can share it on the show. Your choice. If you want it to be confidential, please tell me you want it to be confidential so I don't make a mistake and share it when I'm not supposed to. And if you want it shared, just remember to keep it reasonable length, polite, work and family safe. No politics, no drama. We'll move right on to criminal news now. First story is arrests made in sophisticated auto theft probe. Toronto police investigation has resulted in the arrest of two men in an auto theft ring. In July, police launched Project Clone to identify members of a gang stealing vehicles in the city. On Sunday, December 5th, police obtained a search warrant targeting two men and a commercial automotive garage in Toronto. Police seized items used to steal vehicles, including electronic key fobs from different vehicle makes and models lockpicks, fake license plates, electronic diagnostic and key fob reprogramming tools, tracking devices, and scanners. Detective Daniel Kraling said, The quality of technology and the amount seized speaks to the level of sophistication and technical skill employed by thieves during the commission of motor theft vehicles within the city. With such tools as this and the knowledge that thieves possess, vehicles can easily be stolen in under 30 seconds. And I actually have links to four different articles covering that story that I will put in the show notes if you want to check it out. The picture of the table of stuff that they confiscated from these people is quite interesting. There's a lot of key fobs. There's also leashy picks down in one corner and a lot of different tools there. They were definitely well equipped. The next story is thieves are stealing checks from U.S. Postal Service collection boxes across Philadelphia and trying to get mail carriers keys. This was reported by Ellie Rushing in the Philadelphia Inquirer on the 17th of December. They say thieves have gotten their hands on the keys that open the signature blue mailboxes across the city, breaking into them, stealing checks and costing victims thousands of dollars. In the past, thieves have attached glue traps to the ends of string to fish letters out of the mailbox's small openings, but now they're just obtaining keys to the box. Thieves are robbing mail carriers of their keys, and some are even approaching mail carriers and offering to money to buy them. One key, formerly called an arrow key, opens up every corner collection box and apartment mailbox in a zip code, making it quite valuable. They say because of short-staffed post offices, the accountability process for checking out and returning keys sometimes doesn't happen. And in August 2020, a report by the Postal Service's Office of Inspector General, which conducts internal audits and investigations, called the agency's oversight of the arrow keys ineffective. A Delaware County mail carrier said last week management told carriers to be careful of robbers and that if someone tries to steal the key, For their safety, don't resist. Last month, two mail carriers were robbed at gunpoint for their keys and mailbags in separate instances in northeast Philly. 
The current mail theft and subsequent check fraud has expanded across the city and into the suburbs. Officials say it is so pervasive that the Postal Service is in the process of replacing the locks on every collection box in Philly. Replacing the locks and issuing new keys is a massive undertaking. Philadelphia has over 1,500 collection boxes. After the mailbox locks were replaced in Westchester, New York in early 2018, they say they saw a complete stop in mail theft from the blue boxes. The Postal Inspection Service is aggressively investigating the crimes, according to the agency spokesman. They say that local law enforcement has made a few arrests, including some this week, but that it takes time to build a case. Postal officials stated that mail that sits in blue boxes overnight is more susceptible to being stolen, so residents are advised to check the pickup time posted on the box and wait until the next morning if the mail has already been collected. They say it would really eliminate the vast majority of mail thefts because however they're getting into the blue collection boxes, having quiet and cover and darkness is the thief's favorite thing. Definitely if you're in your Philly, but if you're in anywhere else in the country, you might want to take that advice. Make sure you drop it off before the collection time on a day, and if not, just hold it till the next day. Moving on to sales, we'll start off with the one that I... Uh, Screwed up last week. Bare bones lock picking. No codes needed. Discount prices are on the site. Just look for the little sale icon in the upper corner of the photographs. Southord.com. 20% off discount on all products. December 25th through January 10th with the code WELCOME22. That's Southord.com. Hooligankeys.com. 15% off the code MAKE2020BETTER through January of 2020. Dark Arts Lockpicking 20% off with the code GRINCHMAS21. That expires 31st of December at dalp.com.au. Keydecoder.eu. Discounted prices on the website through the end of 2021. Master Lock Surplus Sale. Up to 50% off on some items. But it's Master Lock, so it's probably what they should be charging in the first place. And at Matt's Lock. Pit. It appears the sale is still going, or at least it was as of this morning when I checked. So mattslockpit.com, 3dlocksport.com, 10% off with the code LSCAST10. Mako Locks, 15% off with the code BUYMAKO, and I actually checked it. It is still working. And the same goes for the code GIFT for 10% off at uklockpickers.co.uk. So they don't ever seem to expire. Giveaways. I think the only one currently still running is the one PandaFrog announced in his video 236. And it's running concurrent with the Lock a Month for December on the TSA locks. It's a random draw from the people that enter the Lock a Month, con- Lock a Month contest, not the winner of the contest, but just a random draw from the entries. So everyone stands a chance. So if you're interested, check it out. CLK supplies, hashtag lockboss giveaway. That that's always going, it seems like. So head over there if you want to win some cool prizes from a locksmith supply company. Remember the show needs your support, so send me any information you have that's locksport related, even if you don't think it's important or you think everybody else has definitely sent it to me. They probably thought the same thing and haven't sent it in, so send it anyway. I'll sort through it, figure it out what I've already have, what I don't, what I need, what I don't and what works and what doesn't. I really appreciate all the support, so remember to keep it legal, and I hope you all had a wonderful holiday.
control system devices which are publicly accessible, such as Sparrow. Just remember that I don't know what I'm talking about, and this is all way over. I don't know. Kill the music. <laughs> <laughs>